Hey, what's up? This is Jason with Centerpoint Church. We're in this collection called Brand New Again, and we are looking at this journey with God, what it's like to actually walk with Jesus, have a relationship with Jesus, and opportunities in our life to have a reset, to start over again. God really can make us brand new again. Let's jump into the message. I want to welcome everybody who's watching online. We're so thankful that you're here today. We are in week four of this collection called Brand New. Again, if this is the first one that you're hearing, I encourage you to go back and listen to them. I think the messages are great. My grandma said they are as well. So go back and listen to those. But we've been on this collection for a while talking about areas in your life that God wants to make brand new again. And his mercies are new every morning. You see all throughout scripture this idea of newness, of of, of regeneration. And so that's what we want to talk about. This week, we're going to be talking about God wants to renew your situation. Your situation. Here's, Here's the thing. If you want something different, you got to do something different. If you want something new, you've got to do something different. Now, I want to tell you a story. I think this is a safe place about the time that I failed twice. I went to the DMV when I was 16 years old to get my driver's license. Now, I was really eager to drive Henry Ford's Model T car. That's how long ago it was. And and I... (laughs) That's a funny joke. It's downhill from here. But... I was excited, and so I went to take the written test without studying because I'm smart, and I failed. I went back the second time without studying, and I took the written test because I'm smart, and I failed. Imagine having to come home and tell your mom you failed the DMV test twice. Hey, can I have the keys to that car now? (laughs) That's how great of a driver I am. I took the test the third time, and I studied, Casey. And I got a 100% because I'm smart. Is that a funny story? I think it's funny. Three people here do. But, but what I want to tell you is this. Here, there's a deep theological truth here. Is that in our lives, we want to have success, but we don't want to do anything different. We don't want to put in any work. And we want God to have a movement in our life. But God wants to change your situation. I read a study recently. It was on NBC News, and I put the word news in quotations. <laughs> it's on NBC News. And, and the study was this. It was how to train your brain to accept change according to neuroscience. How to get your brain to accept change and the benefits of it. There was a doctor named Santosh Kasari, and he said this, that when we are born, our brains are comp- completely malleable, meaning they can be moved and adjusted. But the older we get the more resistant we are as human beings to change, which makes sense, right? But according to this doctor, your brain creates these neurological pathways and deeper and deeper grooves the more that you keep things the same. But it's actually working against your brain because what's happening is is you're telling your brain it can go on autopilot and it doesn't need to function anymore. And so... Believe it or not, the best thing you can do for your cognitive development and to to not have decline is to continually stimulating it with new things. But how many of us actually do that? It can be as simple as driving home from work a different way. But how often do you do that? 
because our brain stops needing to function. It stops, it needs to stop creating things where it has to adapt to new situations. And what we are doing is, is that we are actually making deeper and deeper grooves and making our brain have to work less and less and less. And here's what I want to just ask for a minute. What if that wasn't the way that God designed our lives to be? You slow down the aging process by accumulating and adapting to new situations and new information. But, but here's my question for you. Why do you think that most of the time, as soon as somebody retires, their health declines rapidly right after? Most people 10 years from retirement aren't the same as they were when they retired. Now, if you're under the age of 35, you have no worries because you're never going to be able to retire. <laughs> aren't you glad you came to church? Listen to this quote. This is a quote by an American journalist for the Chicago Daily News. Sidney Harris was his name. He said this, our dilemma is that we hate change and love it at the same time. What we really want is for things to remain the same, but get better. It's what we want. God, do something new in my life without me having to change a thing. God, bless my finances without me having to tithe or submit any of my money to you. Oh, aren't you glad to get to church? We're just getting started. God, I want your favor to pour all over my family, yet I'm not going to do anything for your ministry, for your church that you're trying to do. I'm just going to be a consumer, but please bless me, God. God, I want you to make a movement in my life. I want to know if this is what I'm supposed to do. Like, lay out my paths for me. Tell me yes or no, but I'm not going to spend any time in the Word of God whatsoever hearing what your voice sounds like, but please speak to me. I want something new, but I want to keep everything the same. And can I just tell you that maybe that's not what God wants in our life. Maybe the human dream, the American dream of what retirement looks like, may be working against what the kingdom of heaven dream of retirement is supposed to, to look like. Now, the other quote is this. I love this. This is from John Maxwell. And he said this, change is inevitable, but growth is optional. So as you're growing older or you're accumulating age in life, you will face changes, but are you going to lean into that? Are you going to grow during that time? It's kind of like, are you going to develop patience while you wait? Oh, you're going to wait a lot, but you're going to have patience during that process. Are you going to have faith, which is active trust. I would gather to say that there is no better case study on changing a situation than the story of Zacchaeus. And that's what we're going to hover over today. Now, Glenda, you told me earlier that Zacchaeus was your favorite character in the Bible. And I think it's time for all of the church to know why. Please stand up. <laughs> Glenda Jaggers, the real lady that runs this place. That's the face that runs this place. And I'm not sure why Zacchaeus is your favorite, but I have a, a hunch. So what's going to happen if you grew up in church, you're familiar with the story of Zacchaeus. If you don't know the story of Zacchaeus and you're new to this journey, that's okay. We're going to go through it. But here's what we have to know before we jump into Dr. Luke's gospel to talk about Zacchaeus is this is you got to know why Jesus was ever even in the area where Zacchaeus was. And this is important. Do you want to know what's important to Jesus? See what he did and how he spent the last remaining few days of his life. So here's Jesus, 
and way over there is Jerusalem. And he's got to go through Jericho to get to Jerusalem. Now, Jesus has a plan. This is about a week left in his life. He's going to be walking through Jericho because his intention before he gets to Jerusalem is he's got to stop in Bethany and he wants to spend some time with his friends. You know them, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. That's where he's headed to Bethany, which is in the region of Jerusalem. Now, this is important because once Jesus enters Jerusalem, he's never leaving again, at least with his physical body. So he knows that he is attempting or he's on the path to his final week of his life. And so he goes through Jericho. Now, a few years ago, my wife and I, we went to Jericho or what's left of Jericho. And there isn't much. They said, you see the, those, uh, those bricks over there and that kind of dormant area? Yeah, that was Jericho. But Jesus is entering this region. And, and, and I'm going to let the word of God talk for just a minute about to tell us for a minute about where we're headed and what the story is, and then we'll unpack it a little bit. Luke 19. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man there by the name of Zacchaeus, he was chief tax collector and was wealthy. If you can think about, if you write in your Bible, underline chief, and then underline wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up to him and said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Now, that's just a few verses but it's pregnant with meaning. There is a lot of things going on under the surface here. So let's talk first about tax collectors because you need to know this to know the state of Zacchaeus' heart and how his life is during this time because this is important because Jesus is gonna always pursue broken people that the world has discarded as wicked or worthless. That's who Jesus is gonna go after and this, this story is no exception. So your tax collectors made their money legally but unethically. Legally, but unethically. So basically what the Roman government would do is say, this is how much money that you're going to owe me at the end of the time. And you can go about any way getting this money and whatever you take over the top, you can pocket it. In the mafia, they call it leakage. Every time money exchanges hands, some of it is leaked out. There's a mafia reference for you. But, but he was not just a tax collector. He was the chief tax collector. Now, as we're studying this story, remember, just a chapter earlier is a parallel story of the rich young ruler who couldn't give up all of his earthly treasures, so he ultimately couldn't follow Jesus. But what I think you need to know about Zacchaeus a little bit here is he probably was lonely and was using his money to cover up a lot of areas in his life that were lacking. Why? Because he's a Jew, but he's working for the Roman government. So the Jews didn't like him because they viewed him as somebody who was a betrayer. And, and, and the Roman government would have thought of him almost like you would think of a mule or a donkey or some sort of animal that would just carry out a purpose for you because he's just a Jew. So the Jews think he's a betrayer. The Roman government think he's less than. And because he also interacts with Gentiles, he is not allowed to enter the temple. He is ceremonially unclean. So imagine what that would look like if your home people hated you, the people you work for, your employer hated you, and you couldn't even enter the temple. 
That's the state of Zacchaeus right now. But he's a chief tax collector. Raise your hand if you like paying taxes. Not one person in here likes to pay taxes. Where's your American civic duty? Where's your patriotism? The worst part about coming to this church is that I, at my previous church, there was an HR department, and they just paid my taxes for me. I didn't even think about it. But here, I get my check, and I've got to go pay my own taxes. And it's terrible because it changes how you view everything. Can I just talk for a moment? I'm not going to get political, but can I just talk for a moment? I have a microphone, so you have to say yes. It changes things when you start paying your own taxes and people are running down going, I got a stimulus check and I don't even have a job. And I'm like, bro, I paid for that. Sorry. (laughs) We're going to give $5 million to this city so they can build a new bridge. I paid for that. It changes things, right? But, but, But America has nothing on how many taxes the Roman Empire had to pay. Like, you think about all those building projects and all the things that they did. That that, that costs money. Listen to this. I have it written down, some of the taxes. I did the research, so you don't have to. You can just regurgitate this to your friends and let them think you're smart. You are smart, but you know what I mean. There's a poll tax. Right off the bat, poll tax. For those of you that don't don't do a good job with the southern accent, I'm actually saying P-O-L-L, a poll tax. Who knows how Gerald would, would, would uh, <laughs> what do you call that? Who knows? A poll tax. You had a flat tax right off the bat just for the luxury of breathing Roman air. A-I-R. If you breathe air, it belongs to the Roman Empire. You're going to pay taxes on that. 10% income tax flat on top of that. These taxes compound. An import tax, a road tax, a harbor tax, a fish tax, in which you pay not only per fish, but per net that you use as well. I won't complain this week. I think I'm getting paid this week, Thomas. There's a ground tax. One-tenth of your grain goes to the Roman government. One-fifth of your wine goes to the Roman government. Then, this is really interesting. So there was a cart tax. So you pay the tax for the cart if you sold goods and services on it. So if you brought it into the area and you sold, I don't know, oranges or whatever off your cart, you would pay per wheel on your cart. So they got smart, John. They started having wheelbarrows. And then in time, they started having a two-wheel cart. And then they had like a unicycle kind of a cart. And they, they, they got smart because you had to pay a lot. So, so here's the thing, though. About Zacchaeus is interesting because Scripture doesn't really give us a whole lot of physical characteristics of people in the Bible. They don't. Like, you have in your mind what Jesus looks like. Some of you have him with blonde-haired, blue-eyed, which is ridiculous. But, but we don't really know why. I, don't, I, I think maybe because what they look like isn't important, and I think so maybe that we could associate more with different characters in the Bible, even if you don't look like them. But rarely does the Bible give us something about a physical characteristic, but they do as Zacchaeus. They say he was short. Now imagine, Charles, if you appeared in Scripture, and you're only going to be remembered one way for the rest of mankind about how you appear in Scripture, what word would you want described Handsome, charming, tall, athletic, short. How short is he? I know you're wondering that. How short is he, Jason? You're wondering, how short is he, Jason? 
Dude, I'm so excited that you asked. We don't know. <laughs> but most people hover over about four foot ten. Now, personally, Jason Baugh, without really a whole lot to, to focus on, actually thinks he probably was shorter than that because when I went to that region, based upon how short the doors were, I would say the average man was probably 5'6", five, 5'7", five, based upon what I saw with the leftover ac architecture that is sitting there still. And, and, uh, but either way, under five foot is, um, Glenda, stand up, please. Zacchaeus. I have her permission to do this, sort of. So scripture tells us he was short and wealthy. He was chief tax collector. And then we've already established he was most likely lonely, felt abandoned, and felt like the, the, he had nobody to count on in this world, right? But here's the thing. Lean into this. He had heard about this Jesus from Nazareth. And most people, by this time, there were crowds following him. I would imagine that half of the people were hoping that they would see some sort of show. You'd see a blind man to be able to see again, a lame man to be able to walk again, or maybe we just get a free meal and he'd feed everybody with a number four from Long John Silver's. Like, we just don't know what's going to happen here. There's a reason that Baptist churches have free lunches whenever they have meetings. <laughs> free food works. But, but people are following Jesus at that time, probably trying to see something. But Zacchaeus has heard about Jesus. And it says he wants to see Jesus, but he's short. And there's a crowd in the way. And so scripture says that Zacchaeus climbs this sycamore tree. Now, the sycamore trees are still standing in this area. I saw one. Relatively short, but they have these big branches that spread out. So it can actually hold a lot of weight. When was the last time you climbed a tree? <laughs> it's been a long time for me, too but I want you to lean into this. I think, I think this is the one of two most important things of this entire story. Don't leave without leaning into this. Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus. There was a crowd in the way, so he had to climb a tree to be able to see Jesus. He had to change his situation. He had to get the, the things out of the way so that he could see Jesus. He had to change his situation so that he could have an encounter with the real Jesus, not the one he had heard about, not the one that he thought he had figured out, but the real Jesus. You see, would have Jesus would have seen him if he was in the crowd back behind? Maybe, I don't know. But Zacchaeus took the initiation to climb a tree. Now, here's the part I want you to understand, the importance of trees and what it looks like in your life today. You want to experience Jesus. You won't unless you climb a tree. Now, I'm not saying physically climb a tree, Nick, though you could. Here's what I mean. You're going to have to get away from the noise and the people in the crowd if you want to experience Jesus. You want Jesus to do a work in your life, but you want it to fit in your Google calendar. And so do I. But it's not how Jesus works. Let me tell you what a tree in my life looks like. Right now, real life. Very practical. On my ways to work in the morning is the only time in my life that there's like no noise anywhere. So I've stopped putting on the radio or podcasts. And you can go look right now. It's that 2006 Acura parked behind this duplex right here. And go look through the window. There's a beeping alarm, but it's not really an alarm. It just beeps. 
There's nothing in there worth stealing except for some cassette tapes. There's a card right there, and it has a list of five names of people who I'm praying for this week. Dr. Corey Crowley, your name's on that list. Brian Covington, your name is on that list because I'm lifting you up in prayer every single morning. Did you know that you were on that list? No clue, but I'm praying for you this, morning, this week. So my tree is to turn off the radio and to just, as I'm driving, I speak to God and just say, bless them this week. Whatever they're going through, give them peace this week. That's my tree. Your tree might be getting up early before your kids get up so that you can actually read the Bible and concentrate without those parasites nagging you every two seconds. I am 99% kidding. What's your tree? You want to experience Jesus? You got to get away from the noise in the crowd. You might have to turn off the television. You might have to turn off the radio. Find a way in your life to get away so that you can experience God. It doesn't have to be anything super fancy, but it's the importance of trees. Verse 7. So remember, Jesus looks up at him. By the way, this is the only time that I think that I've read. I may be wrong. Some of you may know this, that Jesus invites himself over to someone's house. Like he invites himself over. Like I'm coming to your house for dinner. I'm going to try that out. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he is gone, meaning Jesus, to be the guest of a sinner. You darn right Jesus is going to, to pursue sinners. That's who Jesus is, pursuing broken people. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Underline that number four. It's going to be important. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. And I love this part right here. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. Oh, church, make no mistake. That's the point of the local church, to seek and save and love on the lost and tell them about the real Jesus. Oh, gone are the rules and the regulations. Gone are the, you don't meet this standard anymore. Now it's about relationships. Now it's about pursuing broken people. Now, why is that, that number four important? Here's why. Is if you go all the way back to the Levitical law when Moses was laying things out, four times, paying somebody back four times is actually the stiffest and most severe of punishment. And we could do a whole sermon on that, but go back and study that. And that would be his way of saying, I'm going to go above and beyond what I have to do to make things right. In church world, we call that regeneration. That's the changing of somebody. It's proof of salvation. But here's the part somebody needs to hear today. There will always be a crowd trying to prevent you from radically following Jesus. As soon as he starts to radically follow Jesus, radically turning from things, worshiping with your hands up, praying for people, talking to strangers, inviting your coworkers to church, that's radical. There'll always be a crowd trying to talk you out of it. Some, some of you, your crowd is your family. Some of you, your crowd is your coworkers, your siblings, your parents. And you want to pursue Jesus and have regeneration, make a change from the inside out, and this is what they do. Can you believe that she thinks she can be used by God? She's been divorced. Can you believe that he is taking his family to church? 
You know what kind of stuff he's done? There'll always be a crowd trying to prevent you from radically following Jesus. I want I want to we're kind of approaching the runway here. I, 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 what I thought was a mistake was I went down the Facebook rabbit hole one day, meaning like you find something and, and then like just two hours of your life goes by. But it actually turned sermon prep, so I should probably put that on my timesheet. It was a Facebook post. The only reason I actually saw it is because two people in this church commented on it. I think one was you, Patty Cavanaugh. But don't worry, it's a good thing. is this writer named Jake Bradshaw, some random dude. He posted this and he said, send your 16-year-old self a message, but make it only four words long. And I found this to be so fascinating because I thought, what would I tell my 16-year-old self if I had four words, could put in a bottle and could throw it back in time, you know, get in a DeLorean and bring it to my 16-year-old self, what would I say? This is really interesting for us to think about because whatever we would tell our 16-year-old self, our current self probably needs to hear this as well. And some of the answers were funny and some of the answers were heartbreaking. What would you tell your 16-year-old self if you had four words? Some of the funny ones, I thought. One guy said, save your money, bro. One person put, invest in Bitcoin, idiot. Uh, one girl put, he's not the one. Mm-hmm. Don't you wish you could tell your 16-year-old self that? And this one guy said one, and this is probably not church appropriate, but I thought it was hilarious. Uh, he put easy on the marijuana. <laughs> <laughs> Raise your hand if you tell your 16. No, 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 no. <laughs> Some of these answers, though, carried a lot of weight. It almost made me want to, like, just send messages to these people on Facebook to, like, pray for them, but that would come across probably rather, rather creepy. Uh, some of them carried a lot of weight. Listen to this. This is, this is what current people would tell their 16-year-old self. You aren't a burden. Jesus sets your value. Keep your head up. Today doesn't define you. Mm. These last two, actually, here I am sitting in my office at home, like, reading these, getting emotional over these last two because I thought, what has this person been through? And why couldn't have Jesus, like, got a hold of him or her at a younger age so they wouldn't have had to carry this for so long? This one really bothered me, wrecked me. It wasn't your fault. It wasn't your fault. Imagine a 16-year-old needing to hear that. And this last one absolutely crushed me. Never go to church. Never go to church. Oh, I wish I could go to that person and go back to them when they're 16 and say, that isn't a real church. The most consistent one that I saw, though, as I was going through these, I saw this overarching, I guess the word, arcing, arching, theme that I kept seeing come up over and over and over again. And this is what I think that most of us would tell ourselves. This is what I would tell myself. And it was this idea of don't settle, don't give up, pursue your dreams, keep going. Don't believe what other people said to you or said about you. Keep going. Take risks. Not one person on this entire hundreds of messages said take less risks. Don't go do that one thing that you really dreamt about. You made the right choice by just defaulting to what was safe. Not one person. 
I've had the privilege, I guess, of being in the room and watching multiple people take their last breath here on earth. It's a privilege if they're a believer. It's scary if they're not, and I've been in there before too. And I haven't heard one person say, I wish I would have worked more. I wish I would have sat on my lazy boy and watched more television. You've heard me say this before probably, but one of my favorite poets, Voltaire, says we're all going to change the world. Most of us just run out of time. Somebody needs to hear today. Take risks. Stimulate your brain. Do something different. Jesus wants to change your situation that you're in. That doesn't even mean that it's bad. It just means it's too safe. Go through scripture and find somebody that interacted with the real Jesus, had regeneration, and their life got easier, more comfortable, more stable, more routine. It's fool's gold, church. It's fool's gold. Jesus wants to make your situation new again. Some of you think this message is for you today, isn't it? It's almost like it speaks right to where you are. I want you to hear the prophet Isaiah. We've got just two more scriptures and then we're done. I want you to hear what the prophet Isaiah says. This is a very famous scripture. If you've been in this church world for very long, you've heard it before. If you haven't, you're about to hear it for the first time. This is the prophet Isaiah saying this, 43, 19. For I am about to do something new. See, I have already begun. Do you not see it? I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in the dry wasteland. Here's what you got to understand of this verse. He's reminding the Israelites what he's already done. He's making reference towards spreading the Red Sea when they were escaping slavery in Egypt. And he's saying, remember what I did then? I'm doing something new again right now. And in the NIV version, it says, will you not see it? One translation says, will you miss it? Will you miss the new things that God wants to do? Now, here's a good question. Because Revelation 21 says that I am doing a new thing. How does a God that never changes do something new in your life? It's a good question. And it's this, is as you lean into God, he exposes deeper and deeper layers of a relationship with him and of his character. Some of you will die without ever knowing the very deep layer outside of a surface level relationship with God because you're not willing to give him access to that part of your heart. But this entire walk with, with God is, is this idea. It's like an onion, man. It's just layers to it. And it's like, God, I get it. But like, do you know what I've done? Do you know what I've said? who I am. If the Bible is true, then it says he knit you together in your mother's womb. He says, before you were born, I set you apart. You see, the other thing that Isaiah is saying in this is not only reminding them what he's done, but telling them what he's doing right now, what he's doing right now, but also telling them of a coming Messiah that's going to be even greater than they could even imagine. And I really got this idea as I was studying, God wants better for Jason's life than Jason wants. God wants better for Steve's life than Steve wants. God wants better for your wife and your children than you want. You can have as much of God as you make room for. Find your tree. Let's end it with this. Do you know what the name Zacchaeus means? Now, names mean a lot 
in the Bible. The name Zacchaeus has three meanings. Now keep in mind the state Zacchaeus was in when he first interacted with Jesus. The name Zacchaeus means pure, innocent, and righteous. Pure, innocent, and righteous. I would say that those three words are not a very accurate description of how Zacchaeus was when Jesus first met him. But that's how Jesus saw him. See, Jesus doesn't see you as a sum of all of your sins. Jesus doesn't see you as where you are right now. Jesus sees you as to how God made you. And despite your situation, despite your job, despite the state of your heart, Jesus saw Zacchaeus as pure, innocent, and righteous. And he treated him that way. We see this all throughout Scripture. You see with Moses, the state he's in, when God first speaks to him. We see it in Gideon as he's hiding, and God calls him a mighty warrior as he's hiding. We see this with King David when he's out with the sheep. And God says, that's going to be my next king. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. We see this in the conversion of the apostle Peter. We see this with the conversion of the apostle Paul. Not as a murderer, not as a Pharisee, but as a mighty man of God that he's going to use for his kingdom and his glory. Someone needs to hear today that God sees you for who you are, not for what you're doing. He sees you for who you are, not who you've been. Will you find the tree to spend some time with him? How much of God do you want in your life? How much of God do you want in your children's life? You can have as much of him as you make room for. Find your tree. God wants to make your situation brand new again, no matter how hopeless it seems. God can make it brand new again.